Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent with your host, Miriam Connor. Mental health in kids and teens seems to be something that is getting a lot of attention and it is a concern for many parents, for their own kids, as well as the kids with whom they associate and come in contact. Why does it seem like mental health in kids and teens is so much more prevalent today than ever? And does everyone who thinks they have mental health issues really have them? My guests today, Dr. Sam Goldstein and Dr. Robert Brooks, are back to discuss those questions, share some warning signs, and give guidance to parents, and much more. Sam Goldstein, PhD, is an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine. He's a clinical director of the Neurology Learning and Behavior Center. Dr. Goldstein has authored over 50 trade and science texts, as well as over three dozen science-based book chapters and 30 peer-reviewed research articles. He has also co-authored 10 psychological tests. He currently serves as editor-in-chief of the Journal of Attention Disorders and sits on the editorial boards of six peer-reviewed journals. Currently, he has three books and four psychological tests in development. He's lectured to thousands of professionals and the lay public in the U.S., South America, Asia, Australia, and Europe. Dr. Robert Brooks is one of today's leading speakers and authors on the themes of resilience, motivation, school climate, a positive work environment, and family relationships. During the past 40 years, Dr. Brooks has presented nationally and internationally to thousands of parents, educators, mental health professionals, and business people. His talks are filled with practical, realistic suggestions, and he is renowned for the warmth and humor he uses to bring his insights and anecdotes to life. Sponsored by the all-new Mazda of Kent. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, Mazda of Kent. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Check out their new retail evolution dealership, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. Beck Center for the Arts in Lakewood, Ohio is a nonprofit arts organization that creates arts experiences for all ages. Starting at six weeks for babies and caregiver music group classes to watercolor painting for those in their late 90s, you and your family can find something that excites and engages all of you throughout your lives. Enjoy a youth theater production, a dance performance, professional theater plays and musicals, or get involved with a music, dance, theater, or visual arts class. Visit the Lakewood campus and experience free visual arts exhibitions that rotate throughout the year. Check out all Beck Center has to offer at beckcenter.org. Nestled on a 45-acre estate, McGregor Assisted Living features 90 new private suites, supporting our mission to promote lifelong health and wellness for older adults while helping them find meaning in their retirement years. McGregor Assisted Living, build a lifestyle that suits you. Well, welcome back, Dr. Goldstein and Dr. Brooks. Thank you so much for coming back. I'm very happy to have you um, back again. It's a pleasure to be here. It's it's good to be with you. Yes, I loved our talk last time, and I really um, was excited about you know being able to talk to you. There's so many things we could talk about. You guys are experts on so many different topics. We had a great time talking about your book last time and talking about the tenacity in kids and. That's going to even kind of come back into play as 
we talk about our topic today. Um, so today you're here, we're gonna talk about mental health in kids and teens, and I think this is huge. And um, you guys have a lot of great information, great you know, um, advice and guidance and for parents. And you sent me a lot of research, which I really appreciated ahead of time. And, and I read through all of that and just took down some notes. So um, I know we're gonna have a great conversation today. So the first thing I want to ask you, um, and just again, jump in anywhere that if, if you want to talk about something different than I bring up, please jump in. But why do you think, this is always a question for me, you know, why do you think it seems at least that mental health issues with kids and teens is so much more prevalent today? Maybe it's just my perception of it, but it sure seems that way. Well, let, let me, Bob, let me jump in first. I was going to say, why don't you jump in, Sam? Right. Well, but here's why, uh, uh, Miriam. Uh, we assume everyone understands what we mean when we use the term mental health. Mm -hmm. And we probably should start with that. Great. Because we have chosen in our society to define mental health uh, in a statistical way. Mental health is is perhaps how the majority of people function. So if everyone's depressed, then technically that's that's the state of mental health. And I'm not saying that's correct, but that's how we do it. The, 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 the attribution of mental health is attributed to uh, most people can cope with this and you're having trouble. Therefore, you're not mentally healthy. Mental meaning, meaning how you think about, how you feel, how you interact with the world around you. And, and long before COVID came about, we've been well aware that mental health as defined as a statistical difference from everyone else that causes you distress or impairment has been increasing, not just in kids and teens, but in adults as well. And you know, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, well, wh why is that? What is it about uh, the world we've created for our children and ourselves that increasingly uh, leads to maladaptive feelings and emotions and behavior? So statistically, yeah, mental health problems among children and teens today is higher, particularly depression and anxiety, uh, than it's ever been pre-COVID. And I'll let Bob join in here, but pre-COVID, we estimated that the teenage generation of that time, so those are 12 to 19-year-olds, had a one out of four to one out of five risk of a major depressive episode, meaning not just feeling helpless or hopeless, but acting helpless or hopeless, withdrawing from functioning in the world. And, and when we look at telehealth data among children and teens during COVID, the data argues that that, that number is doubled and maybe one out of two uh, teens is experiencing the stress related to depression or anxiety. And, and it's a kindled effect. So once you start uh, interacting with the world that way, uh, what we know is that every time something stressful occurs in your life, uh, you're going to experience that again. So it, 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 it almost is an epidemic uh, of proportions that are equal to the pandemic of COVID. Yeah, I just what uh, Sam had mentioned, it's, it was interesting because recently I was interviewed and someone asked, didn't we have a lot of mental health issues in the past? 
uh, but we weren't as aware of it. And now there are things like social media. There was an article in the New York Times talking about the impact of social media magnifying uh, or and intensifying a lot of these problems. And all the cause causation, you know, we could say there are a number of things. What I, I've been as interested also in is, okay, what are some of the causes? But as importantly, what are some of the things we can do if youngsters, uh, you know, children and teens, as well as adults, what are some of the things we should be able to do to see if we could relieve some of that stress? And, you know, it's been semi writings for more than a couple decades and help them to become more resilient, help them to deal with stress more effectively, to help them to cope more effectively. Because we could spend hours probably looking at what the causes may be of the increase in mental health issues. Uh, certainly the pandemic plays a role. Uh, we also have to figure out the causes, but also what are some of the things that we can do, realistic things that might be helpful to today's youth. And, and let me just jump in one last time, Marianne, because you, you are aware that what we're speaking to is a phenomenon in which we uh, almost resign ourselves to the fact that we're, there's nothing we can do about the state of affairs of the world. And so we need to stress inoculate ourselves to deal better with the stress of the world. And I, I'm not completely convinced yet that there isn't something we can do to change the world. So we don't necessarily have to ratchet up our our uh, resilience in order to cope with an increasingly uh, stressful and dangerous world. Yeah, really good point, definitely. And I know, um, Dr. Brooks, we're going to talk about some of those things too that you had mentioned. You know, what are some? You know, we're going to talk about some things that we can look for and some things we can do. And you know, Dr. Goldstein, I appreciate you starting out with kind of kind of defining, you know, that mental health, you know, how you think about how you feel and how you interact with the world around you. And right, there's two sides of it. You know, you kind of touched on both. Um, how do we how do we help our children be able to cope with the world <clears throat> if it's not changing? But then also, you know, how do we, like you said, how can you're not convinced that we can't change things. And so that's that positive hope and I agree with you. So another question is that I have, I do, I'm not, and I, I want to ask this delicately because I don't want it to come across like I'm saying, oh, this is all made up and nobody has these things. I don't, I'm not saying that at all, but do you think that some people now, because now it's very much um, kind of thrown around that mental health, depression, anxiety, those words. Um, and so do you think that some people are very quick to just kind of self-diagnose you know, themselves and just use those words like, well, oh, I'm, I have, you know, I struggle with mental health or I have anxiety, I have depression and maybe, you know, or they think their child, their, my child has social anxiety. And really, in fact, maybe they do, but maybe in fact, they're just they're just, it's a normal, they're nervous in, you know, social situations that they haven't been in before, you know, all those kind of things that are normal. Sure. Have we, the question is, have we pathologized, demonized and moralized the, the uh, normal differences between us? But one of the things that happened in mental health and psychiatry and psychology was the realization that symptoms alone uh, don't comprise a quote diagnosis that one has to have impairment 
as a consequence of those symptoms. That's been in place uh, over over 25 years, and that's where the general public doesn't completely grasp or appreciate what the diagnostic process is about. So, Miriam, if you tell me I'm impulsive and inattentive and restless, uh, before 1987, uh, I might give you a diagnosis of ADHD. But since 1987, I then have to ask, how does it adversely impair you or affect your life? And if your answer is, well, it really doesn't, then uh, you're an interesting person, but your problem in terms of your behavior doesn't rise to a level of a diagnosis. And, and again, the terminology, you know, the schools will use the term emotionally disturbed or learning disabled or autistic, and, and those are eligibility terms and they're not diagnostic terms. So that is one reason the public is sometimes thrown off. And, and, and someone will say to you, oh, I'm so depressed. Right. Uh, and, and, but, but they're using the term in a colloquial way to say, I'm just feeling really down. That's yes. different from a diagnosis of depression. And, and you know, I guess if the American Psychiatric Association could have uh, trademarked these diagnostic labels, then no one else could use them without paying a royalty. But that isn't the case. And so there, there is that difference. But I don't think we're pathologizing. I think uh, when a parent says, I think my child has X or Y, just, and I'll, I'll leave it with this, just yesterday, I talked to a parent who thought their teenager had a conversion disorder. And, and uh, they, they, they came about that from looking at the web where wrong information is worse than no information. Uh, and what they were really describing is the physiological effects this over-anxious teen was having when they had a panic attack. Mm. Uh, and it really wasn't a conversion disorder. But you know, most of what we know about the world and ourselves, uh, nowadays we either get from the web or, or from media. And a lot of it is not correct. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, the all-new Mazda of Kent. MazdaKent.com. There's no inventory shortage here. Test drive a new Mazda today. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And maintenance is no charge for one year. Plus, Mazda certified pre-owned vehicles with the balance of a seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty. U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Come experience our new retail evolution dealership created solely with the customer in mind. We provide a premium experience that customers expect and deserve. Test drive a new Mazda today at your Mazda destination, the all-new Mazda of Kent, where my family shops for cars. MazdaKent.com, MazdaKent.com. And I know um, a statistic that you sent me was, you know, March and April of 2020, mental health claims for 13 to 18-year-olds in the United States approximately doubled over the same months in pre in the previous year. And we know that was 2020, but that's, that's a lot, you know, doubled. Go ahead, Bob. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I thought Miriam. Uh... No, I was just saying like, that was just, that's so much that it doubled, you know, during 2020. And so I'm thinking if that's the case, then what, what now, you know, those 13 to 18 year olds, what, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, what's happening with them now, or is this going to continue to double each year? Or was that more isolated because of COVID? Well, there's, a, you know, it's, 
It's that it's that's also very complicated because uh, some of the reports I've been reading is the kids, all kids were really impacted. But the reality is, as some of the reports show, there are some populations of kids who were even impacted more. We know that kids in areas where they're lower socioeconomic were impacted more. We know that if the loss of a parent, the loss of a job impacted more. You know, as, as I've gone to schools, back to speaking at schools, it's interesting to me and looking at my own grandkids, uh, it's interesting to me how with the proper resources and being able to have supportive parents and also being able to have financially be secure in the sense of not losing a job, talking to my grandkids, and I don't think there are any things special, I've been very uh pleasantly surprised how well they're doing. My granddaughter, Maya, her senior year was lost because of COVID. Mm. And I know she was pretty depressed. And then she went to college and she was on the campus, but all classes were virtual. And she almost felt like coming home. Well, she was just here. And it was very interesting talking to her. She just says, you know, I just feel everyone is in a better place. Now she's talking about herself. But I don't want to minimize because I think a lot of kids are hurting and a lot of adults are hurting. But I also start thinking about, as I'm speaking at some of the schools, how both the teachers as well as the kids seem to be in a better place. And I'm not saying all schools. And it'll be very interesting, Miriam, your point. I don't know in five, 10 years from now if there'll be specific populations who have certainly, uh, I'm convinced, have dealt with this uh, more effectively because they have more protective factors. And there are uh, some populations who it's really had been very difficult uh, for them. And they have not really been able to cope effectively because they have not had the resources available to cope effectively. Let's just pick not mental health in general. Let's just pick one condition feeling helpless or hopeless and not and let's not even use a label for it mm-hmm. let's just ask how you know how are people's perception of of the capabilities they have to manage whatever adversities come their way mm-hmm. so a feeling a sense of helplessness or hopelessness a feeling a, a lack of optimism uh, an inability to predict that whatever's going on in your life the the end point will be good uh, what we know about that is that when those kinds of adverse thoughts are kindled during your adolescent years, this this is research that goes back 80, beginning 80 years ago, uh, that when that's kindled, when you kindle a cortisol, we haven't talked about the, the, the biological aspects of mental health. We're talking about the cognitive aspects, but the biological aspects are equal, if not more powerful, uh, the, the release of cortisol and the ongoing impact of high levels of cortisol, which we know is characteristic of all of us today from, from studies that have looked at that, 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 that every generation over the last seven of teenagers has had a higher incidence of depression. And, and when that depressive episode passes, could be as short as two weeks, although it's typically a year uh, or longer, uh, you're left with a vulnerability much the same as malaria, that the next time you're in a stressful situation, there's a high probability you will have the same kind of a physiological reaction, the same kind of a cognitive reaction. And if you have 
you know, depression is kind of like a, a club. You get a membership card. You're not always in the building, but you're always in the club. And if you have, if you have two depressive episodes, and if you have one as a teen, you have a 60, 70% chance of having another one before 19. You have two depressive episodes before 19. This is pre-COVID. Then you you have a membership card lifetime, and you will cycle in and out of depressive episodes in your life, and you can see how big pharma has taken advantage of that. Not that it's bad, but that there's a large percentage, a significant percentage of our adult population who take antidepressant medicines on an ongoing prophylactic basis for fear of getting depressed again, and they don't stop. They just continue taking that uh, medication. So, you know, and and, uh, before we run out of time, we should talk about, so what's our big plan? What do Bob and I think the world should do if they're going to listen to us uh, in order to head this off. So we're not having this conversation 20 years from now, and we have two more generations of kids with increasing mental health problems. And I, I took it, what you were saying, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Dr. Brooks, but like that some kids, not the, you know, whatever kills you, you know, doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, but that you were saying some kids maybe we're able to bounce back for this, is my own terminology, you know, like your granddaughter, for example, because during those times she had, you know, a, a support, a strong support system. Mm-hmm. She had, you know, like you said, parents didn't lose a job. She had access to, and even though she was going through things and she was, you know, having a hard time. And then when she went to college, it was, you know, like she wasn't having a, it wasn't a great experience. And she thought she wanted to come. She still had those things in place that some kids did not. Mm -hmm. So she was able to kind of, you know what I mean? Come back, so to speak and, and bounce, you know, be resilient from that because she had those things in place. Oh yeah. That for me, it gets to the protective factors. I'm not saying, I I guess looking now and looking what it was like two years ago and just talking to her, she was here for the weekend as she said, I'm in a much better place, as yeah. are my friends. But all of them at the college probably had, or I shouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them had that support. Mm-hmm. Uh, she couldn't even, in her dorm, she couldn't even go visit friends in the d- dorm below. That's how strict they were. Wow. Uh, you know, and and the- she's, she's in a better place because she looks back and says to herself, I coped with this. Exactly. Right. right. But- absolutely, absolutely right. That's right. That's yeah. her mindset. Right. Yeah, but it, it is interesting, and and how every situation, you know, is I my daughter. I, I is your granddaughter a sophomore in college now? Oh, uh, she's actually a junior. And what okay. I didn't add is she suffered in her senior year an autoimmune problem, which affected her hearing as well. Mm. So she had a number of risk factors in this. Where, but she had good medical care and mm. uh, you know other things, and she had parents who didn't minimize right her sadness. But I think conveyed that things can get better. You know, right. Sam, I like that you said that because didn't minimize it. You know, they validated and, you know, said, you know, I'm sure they said things like, yes, y- you have a right to be saying, no, I can understand. I'm, I'm sad too. However, you know, and this is what I did with my daughter. She's a sophomore in college now. So they went through, you know, similar times. Mm-hmm. And so I talked about that with her. You know, yes, it's it really stinks that you're missing, you know, X, Y, and Z and that things are this way. And this is this time in your life. However, we're going to focus on, try to focus on the positive and the things that you 
do get and that you do get to do. And that's the only way, you know, this is going to work kind of thing. And, and she, she did, she really did buy into that. And I said, it's okay though, to be disappointed and sad about, you know, missing out on things or the way that things are, that's okay, but we can't stay there. And, and she had a great experience when she went her last year in college because her, where she went, they really didn't have restrictions where most of her friends that went other places did. So that was like, Oh wow. (laughs) You know, she was kind of like, felt like I'm in this bubble, but it's all like quote unquote normal. Um, so that was good for her. So what are some warning signs? So if parents are listening and they're saying, you know, how do I know if my child is just has the blues, feeling down, or ner- kind of the case of the nerves that's normal as opposed to something that is more serious? So, so Miriam, I'm going to reframe your question. All right. Because given the, the, the tone of our conversation thus far, we have to assume that everyone is at risk. We have to assume that we can't build walls high enough or parental locks strong enough to keep the the stress of the world away from our children, whether they're two or 12 or 19, whether they're living in our home or away at college. So I'm going to skip the warning signs. and, And that's what Bob and I have focused on, that most mental health care is tertiary. If you if you don't see a problem, that means you don't need to do anything, which is incorrect. What we're arguing is that we need to do more primary prevention and we need to do more secondary. Secondary uh, intervention is when you you might suspect a problem. Tertiary is when you know you have a problem. And primary is where we're at, is where you assume that everyone is at risk, and therefore everyone would benefit from uh, the kinds of things we're suggesting. And, and I'll give you another first. So this is the first time you'll hear about Bob and Sam's triad model of what we need to do. Because for everything we've said, I think there are three things we have to focus on, and it comes back to, to our book, Tenacity. I mean, it comes back to three kinds of instincts that under duress place up us at significant risk. We have to address our children's beliefs. What do they believe about themselves? What do they believe about us? What do they believe about the world around them? And you can't change somebody's beliefs by telling them to think differently. It, you know, it, it's a process by which, on an ongoing way, you, you help them learn how to think about and challenge erroneous beliefs and, and shift the way they, they interact with others. So that's one. And the second thing is uh, we have to address this fear of difference. Everybody's afraid of everybody else, whether it's their political position, their religious position, uh, their health position. Uh, you know, the, everyone seems to be afraid. And, and a million years ago, it was fine to be afraid of the, the tribe that lived across the valley, because if they could get a hold of you, you were food. They would eat you. So, so instinctually, we are afraid of difference. Uh, but we have to address that with our kids. We have to help them appreciate, sure, sometimes you're uncomfortable around someone who's different. There's another show we'll talk about why people are so anxious around those with handicaps, why it makes people anxious to be around someone with a, an observable or a physical uh, handicap. So that's the second thing. And the third part of this triad, and then I'll let Bob uh, weigh in, is we have to address our tendency 
to respond to any problem or any stressful situation with with hit first, shoot first, yell first, uh, whatever, aggress first, uh, and then ask questions after. That it's in our nature. Uh, the term that we use is brain dancing. That at any given moment, any of us under duress can respond in an aggressive way. The idea that we respond in a patient, calm, a thoughtful way to the problems in our lives is a folktale. That's not our default position. And But can we do it? Absolutely. But it has to be addressed, and we have to model it as adults for our kids, and we have to teach them how to do it. So th that's what I think we need to do. We need to help our children address their beliefs, help our children not be afraid of things that are different, and help our children find a way to respond to challenges and stress in a thoughtful way. Uh, reflective manner and not in an aggressive way. Yeah, and Sam and I are in total agreement. You know, it's interesting, Miriam, in the number of webinars I did, especially during the first year of COVID, uh, after a while, I would actually get requests. Teachers and parent groups would say to me, please don't spend a lot of time on the warning signs. It was very interesting. We want to get a better sense. And it's really what Sam said. How do we help our children? Like you gave an example before, if in terms of validating a child, Sam and I in our book, you know, the first book we did together, Raising Resilient Children, we talk about helping kids be able to focus on what they have control over. You may have no control over COVID emerging, but we can model as parents that you do have control over your attitude and response to things. Every study on resilience has found that one of the most important things is the presence of adults, what Julia Siegel said, a charismatic adult from whom children gather strength. And that's in a general way, but then are you available to your kids? Who would they turn to? We often ask in our workshops, you know, who was a charismatic adult in your life growing up? And what did they say or do? And you think about, are you a charismatic adult, you know, for your kids? So we know that we all need these supportive adults. And also, and we need very positive relationships. That's what I meant before with my grandkids. I know they had positive relationships, parents who validated what they did. And what Sam said also is, I always have felt that resilient people see problems as things to be solved. And I don't want to overly simplify it rather than be overwhelmed by. So as parents, we model things. Our kid has is, is anxious or whatever. We validate it, but then we say, let's think about some of the things we could do. You know, that's what led Sam and I to really uh, introduce the notion of a resilient mindset. We started asking, how does a resilient child see the world differently from one who is not resilient? And then way back when in our first book, Raising Resilient Children, we give specific examples of how we do this. Whether there's a pandemic, there wasn't a pandemic then or not. It's just, for me, a good parenting skills. And how do we help kids when there are obstacles? So, you know, there was a whole series of things we looked at, whether there's a pandemic or not. If there's a pandemic, maybe there's greater urgency, which will really help to develop what we call a resilient mindset. Uh, and that's what I found parents and teachers became more interested in that than necessarily going over a list of symptoms. Build a lifestyle that suits you at McGregor and choose how to spend your days. We recognize that finding meaning in our retirement years is foremost. We promote health and wellness throughout our campus where you can enjoy our walking paths 
visit with friends on any one of our patios and courtyards and make new friends. Find meaning in your retirement years. Call McGregor at 216-220-2209. You're saying, let's let's help our kids be, you know, resilient and all these kind of things. And then that will hopefully help just head that off, you know, rather than we obviously if you see warning signs, you take action. But you know what I mean? You're saying, you know, let's let's help them have the support system, have this charismatic adult. I know you other talk about other things, you know, practicing self um, compassion and, you know, validating, which we talked about personal control, all of these things just in general, you know, just from, from growing up. And that's going to be super, super worthwhile. And we talked a lot about that in, when you guys were on before in podcast um, 76, we talked about your book, Tenacity and Children. um, And you had, it all ties together. Yeah, and and Miriam, your listeners hopefully appreciate what we're saying. It's easy to blame COVID, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not COVID. Right. COVID is simply an example of a of a significant mm-hmm. stressor. You know, it's a it, it's sort of a worldwide experiment on what happens to a population of people under significant stress without a control group, right? We have no control group. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in the, everybody's a research subject. Uh, and, and, but, and, but what we're saying, and I think, you know, Bob and I are not Nostradamus. So we didn't write in our book 20 years ago, uh Oh, you better watch out because some major stressor right. is coming your way and it's going to kill a lot of people and restrict the world. We didn't say that, but we did say, you never know what's around the corner. And, mm-hmm. and in this world, now, what's been demonstrated, whether it's world tragedies like 9-11 uh, in the U.S. or other kinds of, of, of uh, politically related strated, uh, problems or worldwide health problems, whatever the case may be, uh, it, it's just another example of a stressor that adversely impacts us. And, and the beauty of what we're proposing, and we're not the only ones, but what we're proposing is the, the process of coping is universal. Mm-hmm. It does, there isn't a special set of strategies to cope with COVID. It's a universal phenomena. And what it's taught us is you can't just have a, 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 a nice household and assume that, that then everything's going to be fine. Right. It, it, it's much broader than that. And, and yes, Bob's uh, children created an environment for, for his grandchildren that, that prepared them for that. But it's still, as Bob pointed out, it's still the college she went to, the friends that she has. All of these are powerfully uh, impacting forces in how we choose to cope with this, the challenges that, that come to all of us every day. Let me ask you guys a question, just um, with your opinions. I'd just love to hear your opinions on how, what role or how do you think you know the social media and smartphones comes into play here with all of this. Well, you, you, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my two cents worth. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Both, Bob and I have, both Bob and I have written about it. Yeah. In our, in our, the articles that appear on our websites, it, 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 it creates what Marshall McLuhan uh, wrote years ago about uh, a world that becomes a global village. It puts everything happening in the world at your fingertips in terms of of news immediately. So that's number one, things that happen far away 
you know instantaneously, and they do have an impact if they're adverse. So, you know, 30 people are killed yesterday. I think it was in a childcare facility in Bangkok. You know, and I wake up in the morning and there it is on my phone. Oh my goodness, 30 people are, and, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't respond to a tragedy like that, but it almost inundates us. And, and the media's phenomena, I I always wanted to uh, uh, do the good news every evening at six o'clock, six o'clock. Here's Dr. Sam and Dr. Bob with the good news. (laughs) And all we're going to do for a half hour is tell you wonderful things and show you videos of cute puppies and kittens. Uh, and, and maybe that would help, but, but it doesn't sell it, 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 for some reason as a species, because we evolved to be vigilant to risk and danger. And the media takes advantage of that by putting risk and danger right in front of us because it gets our attention saying, Hey, here are some good things that happened today. Nobody's interested. I, I say that sarcastically. That's one. The second thing I think you're alluding to is that it exposes our kids to topics and information at certain ages that are really beyond what they should be exposed to or what they can cope with. And, 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 and again, a lot of technology is used to sell, to mm-hmm. sell you something, uh, as we pointed out before. So yeah, there is an adversity to it. But, but on the upside, if you, if you look, for example, at uh, research on kids using uh, chat rooms from, I forget, the, it's the California, the big uh, uh, nonprofit in California found that if kids are in chat rooms with people they physically see, as in their friends at school, it's a protective factor. Mm-hmm. But if they're in chat rooms with people they've never physically met, it's a risk factor. Isn't that interesting? That is, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and you know what, I, I, I Totally agree with uh, what Sam has said. It's interesting, but this is so much more immediate, as Sam said. But 25 years ago, I used to get questions: How much screen time, meaning television, uh, is is uh, appropriate or not? The other thing is, if you look at, at Facebook, I just have from my family. Everything is wonderful, but that's what people have said. People mainly post what is wonderful. Right. So there are a number of kids who, with their friends. Some will go to chat rooms where maybe they are depressed, but but also what a, some adults have said, and there was a, I can't remember the name of the book. A couple of mothers with kids with who had some disabilities wrote a book. My kid is not perfect, or something like that, because they felt every time they went online they were getting depressed about how well other kids you know were doing. Uh, like anything else, it could be used very effectively. But I, I certainly think that, um, as Sam said, some of what they're going online for or reading about uh, may be uh, not the clearest thing or maybe, you know, somewhat detrimental to their own growth. You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Yes. <laughs> sometimes, right? And, and that's, again, you know, what Bob and I are advocating for, if adverse belief, if uh, untoward aggression, if fear of difference uh, are are playing significant roles in in uh, how we cope, uh, that the solution is to focus on these what we believe are these seven instincts: uh, uh, empathy, altruism, uh, responsibility that we see in each of us. Uh, but like any complex human behavior, requires experience 
to, to make those genes work. Again, uh, my favorite example is uh, a child may have all the genes to speak. If you never speak to them, they'll never speak. And, and, and yes, it's true that probably 80% of who we are is in our genes when we look at identical twins. But as I always point out, if I could influence 1% of the stock market, I'd be on my private island in the Bahamas right now. And, and so I don't want listeners of your podcast to, to leave thinking it's hopeless, uh, believing in a pessimistic way. You know, there's nothing we can do. The world is such a powerful juggernaut and genetics is such a powerful influence that there's nothing we can do. It's absolutely the opposite, that the 15 or 20 percent of influence in how your children's genes express themselves, in the quality of your home life, in the way you communicate, that 15 or 20 percent influence has 100 percent influence in, in the quality of, of a child's life throughout their lifetime. I, I mean, I think it's a very important message that, that sometimes people miss. Often I would hear teachers say to me, this kid comes from whatever they mean by that, a dysfunctional family, all these problems, what can I do? But my feeling is based on the research and that notion of a charismatic adult. I've said to teachers, for some children, the only moments of sanity, security, and love they experience is in your presence. You may not be able to change all about the environment they grow up in. Hopefully we can make some differences there but never underestimate the impact that one adult could have. Uh, and, and the same with parents. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's very important that they, you know, they, they parent in ways that they become a source of strength, as Julia Siegel said, a charismatic adult in their life of their children. And that's what Sam and I really tried. It's been for over 20 years now. But what does a charismatic adult do? What are some of the things so that the child will develop this resilient mindset? Uh, and I'm very hopeful. And as Sam said, yeah, sometimes one could say, what control do I have? And that's why in our books about res resilience in children or adults, we really emphasize this notion of personal control. Focus on what you can do, not what you cannot do. And then you model that kind of attitude for your children. Beck Center for the Arts in Lakewood, Ohio is a nonprofit arts organization that creates arts experiences for all ages. Starting at six weeks for babies and caregiver music group classes to watercolor painting for those in their late 90s, you and your family will find something that excites and engages all of you throughout your lives at every skill level. Enjoy a youth theater production, a dance performance, professional theater plays and musicals, or get involved with a music, dance, theater, or visual arts class. Visit the Lakewood campus and experience free visual arts exhibitions that rotate throughout the year. Beck Center even offers creative arts therapies for all ages and all abilities in music, dance, theater, and visual arts in a private lesson or group class setting at a school, clinic, or on the campus. If someone in your life is autistic, these services are highly beneficial. Great progress can be made through arts therapy at any step in a client's journey. Check out all Beck Center has to offer at beckcenter.org. And thank you so much for both leaving this with, you know, with hope, right. And positive positivity. And that, like you said, there are some things you can't control and the things that you can, you know, focus on those things. And I think that was the really important way to end it. And I appreciate you both being here. How can we find you? 
I'm at samgoldstein.com. Bob is at drdrrobertbrooks.com, no period. And uh, our joint site is tenacityinchildren.com. Thank you so much for being here again. It was great. And I really appreciate you coming again. Miriam, it was delightful. And you you see, this is why we work so well together. We have had such wonderful discussions, agreement, disagreement, getting together. Uh, One of the most fortunate times in my life was when I first met Sam. Uh, Thank you, Bob. You don't always get collaborators where you could write so much together and share ideas and be comfortable and, agreeing or disagreeing. I'll, I'll leave you with two things your listeners can look forward to. We are writing a children's book. Great. With, uh, a wonderful illustrator from Australia mm-hmm. on tenacity and the seven instincts. And we're just beginning to research what uh, we hope will be our next book uh, on uh, competition and sibling rivalry. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you the working title to kind of give you intrigue you. It's called the cuckoo syndrome. Uh, <laughs> now, what we need to do about competition and sibling rivalry in our children and ourselves. That's great. When is that coming out? Oh, we, we, have, we just began we talking writing about it. it. We're just researching it. We're still researching it. Got it. All right. Well, children, I'll be looking the children's for that. book, we've uh, already got a lot of the dialogue and uh, the illustrator, and she is wonderful. And so, but again, I don't know exactly when it'll come out, but it's it's really been a, another fun project for us. That sounds great. I will keep my eye out for that. Thank you both again. Sponsored by the all-new Mazda of Kent. Your family's safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, Mazda of Kent. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Check out their new retail evolution dealership, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. Beck Center for the Arts in Lakewood, Ohio is a nonprofit arts organization that creates arts experiences for all ages. Starting at six weeks for babies and caregiver music group classes to watercolor painting for those in their late 90s, you and your family can find something that excites and engages all of you throughout your lives. Enjoy a youth theater production, a dance performance, professional theater plays and musicals, or get involved with a music, dance, theater, or visual arts class. Visit the Lakewood campus and experience free visual arts exhibitions that rotate throughout the year. Check out all Beck Center has to offer at beckcenter.org. Nestled on a 45-acre estate, McGregor Assisted Living features 90 new private suites, supporting our mission to promote lifelong health and wellness for older adults while helping them find meaning in their retirement years. McGregor Assisted Living, build a lifestyle that suits you. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Find the podcast and much more at northeastohioparent.com. Like Apparently Speaking on Facebook and email me at podcast at northeastohioparent.com.